Hey, as we're, we're uh, moving forward here, I'm going to invite you to uh, turn to the book of Matthew. Uh, chapter 9 is where we are. Now, I don't have, today I don't have a little uh, musical number for you. But uh, we've been looking now, we're, we're, we're after these two holidays of, of Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. We're, we've, we've stayed in the book of Matthew, but what we're going to do... By the way, can I just talk to you for a second? So what somebody else said, hey, it's nice to have uh, that someone's intimated that perhaps as I've been on the, the old telephone, that somehow uh, I may have may have exhibited some sort of uh, 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 in, uh, extra enthusiasm. And I don't know that that's the case. I feel like I'm always just me. But if I'm, perhaps you just think I'm more enthusiastic because I'm much closer to you. I don't know. But uh but here's the deal. So we've been in the book of Matthew, and I know that I know there's all kinds of stuff going on, and, and there's more people asking questions about, you know, what's going on with the virus and the economy and the politics and all of that. And, and it might be feel like, well, gosh, is, is Dad going to take a time out and, and address this? No, I really want us to, to, on Sunday mornings to make sure that we don't leave the emphasis on the Gospels. Because I, I, I don't want us to come to a point where we, we're, we're on the other side of this nonsense, and we say, what, wait, what, wait, what were we talking about again? You know what? I don't want us to lose our bearings. I don't want us to be the people that allow any storm, no matter its significance, no matter its size, no matter its impact, to knock us knock us off of our course. We are gospel people. We are under the same commission that the church received at the end of this book to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey Jesus. And that's our commission. We are operating on that mission. We have That baton has been passed to us. And people before us have faced ups, downs, sideways things, world wars, disasters, plagues, black this that the other plague the other thing all kinds of natural disasters and uh they've they've they face so much stuff and they have they have been faithful and we if, if this is our current challenge let us stay focused in the gospel so here we go are you ready uh we, we've been looking at uh, uh, matthew's chapter eight nine and ten which is matthew's uh his first uh, after he breaks from the Sermon on the Mount, this is Matthew's miracle passage. And each of these miracles, we're calling this, this, this series Miracles with Meaning. And if I were in the room with you right now, I'd say, everybody say, Miracles with Meaning. So you might try to say that out loud with me. Why do we say miracles with meaning? Well, because the miracles of Jesus aren't metaphors. Uh, there are they, the, despite Boltmann's work in the in the late uh, last century to 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 mythologize to say that that we have to demythologize the the, the Bible to, to get anything out of it. We these aren't myths, and these they didn't the, the the gospel writers didn't write down little mythical stories in order to communicate some sort of existential truth. You see, that didn't even sound fun to say. I say that people go blah, 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 you're, nobody thinks. Nobody wants to connect with that. But that's not just because it's not fun. It's also just not true. These gospel writers wrote down their testimony. The Bible is testimony. And we need to read these miracles, not listening for a metaphor, not listening for a myth, but listening for the meaning. There was a dramatic and powerful immediate impact that these miracles have. And in every story, in every saying of Jesus, the proper steps of, for us to interpret and respond is to be blown away first. If we read a thing and go, yeah, that sounds interesting, move on, then we've probably missed the significance of it. We need to let ourselves sit in the text for a little while and let it and let it grip us so that we can properly respond to it. And that's how we approach these miracles. These things continue to speak to us 
as readers, and we continue to respond to them with shock and awe. Ultimately, though, our response to these miracle stories is the same as all the words of Jesus and works of Jesus, is that we respond as followers, as disciples, meaning we respond with faith and obedience in Jesus. We respond in faith and with obedience to Jesus Christ. So, what we have seen is that in, the, uh, in these passages, in the book of Matthew, that Matthew has been emphasizing, arguably, he's emphasizing a, single, a singular word, one single word. And you'll see it time and again, not, not that he doesn't have other ideas or other emphases, but there's this, there's this word authority that Matthew likes to emphasize. And uh, he wants his audience to recognize, but not just recognize, to revere to be in awe and wonder at the authority of Jesus. That's important because it goes all the way through the book. And then at the end of the book, the very last thing we hear Jesus say is, by the way, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. So we are, even our going as disciples is, is uh, predicated on the magnificent, measureless authority of Jesus. So for us to be disciples of Jesus, we must come to grips with the authority of Jesus. We must be overwhelmed by the authority of Jesus if we're going to have the confidence to walk in the authority of Jesus or to represent the authority of Jesus. Man, if I was, if I was by myself in the room right now, I'd shut my own self down. Uh, Here's the deal. So we watch people in these passages. We watch how these people respond to the authority of Jesus, and they respond with faith and obedience. And as we see what happens, our faith and our obedience to Jesus should grow as we see his authority. The more we see the authority of Christ, the bigger we see Jesus, the bigger our faith should become. Big Jesus equals big faith, not the other way around. Jesus doesn't grow big as our faith gets big. It's not our faith that makes something, makes something out of Jesus. It's Jesus that makes something out of our faith or makes our faith into something when we see him. It begins with him. How we see Jesus will determine the size and the robustness and the response of our faith. And so that's what this book this book, this book of Matthew, I will, I will say this, this is intended to excite, to, to inflame uh, our view of Jesus. So that as such, our faith becomes living and active and ready and powerful. I had a dream last night. <laughs> and if my wife's in the other room, she's going to say, what? Because I, I have dumb dreams all the time. I can't stand them. I had this dream last night, and in the middle of what was probably a bunch of nonsense, I actually had walked into a. I remember I walked into a room, and please don't change the channels because I'm talking about a dream. This doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, I walk into a room, and I remember there were people sitting around like cafeteria tables, which is weird. Doesn't matter. And I asked them if they believed that Jesus was enough or that did they believe in Jesus? And it was like a forward thinking, like whatever was in front of them, do they believe Jesus? Do they, do they believe that Jesus is enough? And, and their faces became sullen. And I watched people's heads fall to the, 
to the like fall like this and become fallen and and fallen and 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 they and there there was such there was such sadness and and despair because they were having a hard time looking up, seeing that Jesus could meet. And I remember one person saying it was about their, their marriage and they, they just couldn't see that Jesus was big enough for their marriage. And other people, there were different circumstances. And I, and I remember, it's crazy, I remember beginning to pace back and forth in the room saying, don't you see Jesus? Can't you see Jesus? So finally, I, and I said, well, what about this? Can you look back? And I picked up the Bible. And I said, well, would you at least start here? Do you believe that he, whether or not you're having, if you're having challenge believing that he can, will you at least believe that he did? Will you start there? And, my, and I woke up and I thought, well, my, my goodness, Lord, that's really what we're doing. That's one of the things that we're doing right now is we're, we're looking back at, what the, at these testimonies of how big Jesus was, and he still is, but you understand what I'm saying, at the bigness of Jesus in these people's experience, and so that he can be big for our faith today. Yes. Big Jesus equals big faith. If I were you, I'd say it out loud in your home or your car. Big Jesus, big Jesus equals, big, equals faith. big faith. Not big faith. I don't have to make something out of Jesus with my faith. Don't worry about that. Just let Jesus, let, let Jesus Christ fill the canvas of your imagination with every ounce and color of his majesty. And as you just surrender yourself in full view of the magnificence of Jesus, faith will rise. You ready? That was a long introduction. Matthew chapter. <clears throat> so today what we're going to see is that Jesus has authority over life and death. Now you and I might say, well, yeah, he does. Of course he does. He did that last week. Well, it's from the dead. Let's remember in real time, people are still experiencing Jesus. And they're, and Matthew is recording this in, in real time for some people who have heard, some people who haven't. But here's what we hear this morning. Are you ready? We're at Matthew chapter 9. We're going to pick it up at verse 18. If you have your Bible, open that up. Here we go. Verse 18. We're going to go all the way to the end of verse 26 today. While he was still saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I can only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And that the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing the pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. What's the meaning of this miracle? Well, there are two stories. There are two stories here. Both, both of them concern life and death. Both of them demonstrate people's faith in Jesus. Both of them demonstrate a response to what they believe to be of the authority of Jesus. Both miracles, in both of these stories, this is important, especially for a, a full like, you know, statistically half to two-thirds of our audience. In both of these stories, Jesus affords a kindness to women 
that isn't found anywhere yet to date. Right now is a good time for you to share all this with your girlfriends. Hey, 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 he's talking about girls. Hey, girlfriends, pop, 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 okay? Jesus affords a kindness. You know all those women groups that you're on and, you know, the shopping and the talking, and I should stop talking. But all those things on the social media groups, listen, Jesus affords a kindness to women that, uh, that, that uh, up to this moment we have not seen in the biblical narrative anywhere. What he does, what we read just now, is that Jesus, Jesus ministers healing to a woman suffering with an uncleanness, and then Jesus ministers, Jesus raises a girl, a girl, 12 years old, from the dead. No, we've never seen a woman raised from the dead in all of Scripture. We've never seen a woman suffering with a condition of uncleanness uh, uh, removed. Never seen it, seen that before. Not that we shouldn't have seen it. I'm just saying we haven't seen it yet. And what's what's powerful and beautiful for the reader is the first time we get to see such extraordinary kindness, or I should by extraordinary I mean tradition breaking first time in history. Although it should have happened, the the this kind of tradition breaking kindness is 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 uh, broken through, Jesus is the one who does it. Jesus is the one who initiates this, and Matthew records it for us. All the gospel writers do. All the gospel writers want us to see this. So uh, this is the first done by Jesus. But now both of these miracles reveal that, a, that the that authority is exercised ex, in exceptionally compassionate ways. And they, they the stories are a sandwich. One begins, then we have the, the one then in the middle, and then the, the first one ends at the end. So here's how it begins. Are you ready? Verses 18 and 19. While he, Jesus, was saying these things, uh, uh, he, he, what, what was he saying? He Remember, he had been talking about the wineskins. He was teaching about wineskins and new patches and new wine. And So he's talking with the Pharisees. He's in, he's, he's in mid-sermon, essentially. While he's explaining this, this guy comes in front of him. Uh, Jairus comes up in front of him and kneels down and, and says to him, he's a ruler of a synagogue, so he's an important figure. So they kind of got out of his way when he came in. And what Jairus says is, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. My daughter has died. Can you imagine having to say those words out loud? My daughter has just died, but come and put your hands on her and she will live. Jesus is, so in this moment, oh, and then, and then, and then Matthew finishes and says, and Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. There's no, there's no conversation. There's no discussion. There's no debate. My daughter, my daughter's dead. You come, put hand on, and she'll live. And Jesus gets up and goes. Jesus is still teaching. He's right in, mid, in, in, sense, right, right in mid-sentence. And what you need to hear is that this man says about his daughter, he said, she has come to an end. That's the, the, the Greek verb that is used. It's different than just the word she's died. She literally, she's, she's come to her end. She's finished. He said, it's, it's, it's over for my daughter. This is the end. Time is out. It's over. But, it's over. But, it's over. But, if Jesus will come and put his hand on her, she'll live. It's over. But if Jesus will intervene, it's not over. Yes. And here is the flashpoint of faith in the story. This is the audacious faith of the Father. His faith sought and reached for the authority of Jesus. He knew it was over. She's come to her end. But if Jesus, but if Jesus will intervene, he saw, he saw a big Jesus 
So therefore he had a big faith. He believed that if Jesus would just come and lay, and lay his hand on the dead girl, she'd live. So Jesus gets up and goes. He responds to, he responds to, hit, to this man's faith with readiness. And friends, this is what we need to see in the passage, that this man brings faith to a big Jesus that he sees, and big Jesus responds ready. He doesn't, he doesn't second, he just comes. He responds to faith like that. So you come and, and Jesus is like, sounds good to me, let's do this. So he's on his way. And, and so remember, he's, he was already teaching, and since this is the first interruption. He's, he's teaching some guy interruption. You know, we don't like interruptions. We tend to think interruptions are outside of God's plan for our day. But we can learn something from Jesus, that great moments in the Gospels are a result of, are a result of interruptions, especially the interruptions of faith. And I think it might be good for us just to see a small point in here, and that is to treat interruptions with faith and see what God will do. Anyway, the story continues in, in uh, verse 20. As he's going along, then it says, just then. So Matthew is really giving us frame by frame here. Just then, here's another interruption. But this time, faith is reaching toward Jesus' authority for mercy when no one is looking. Before Jairus comes in in front of everybody looking, but this woman reaches when no one's looking. A woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This woman had a condition that would have made her unclean according to the Torah in, Le in Leviticus 15.25. She would not have been allowed in the temple. If she would have tried to come into the temple and come into the in in the, any of the inner parts of the temple in this condition, the punishment would have been pain or death. She's unclean. And she was slowly dying. The Bible tells us, and we know this medically, that life is in the blood. And she'd been losing blood intermittently for 12 years. This is very serious. She would have been very anemic. She would have been very weak. She would have been very sick. And on top of all of that, she would have been living under this, the constant, for more than a decade, think where you were 12 years ago, for more than a decade, she would have been living under the stigmatism of being unclean. Sick and stigmatized for 12 years. But she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak because she said to herself, if I can just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Big Jesus, big faith. Yeah. If I can just, there he is. If I can just touch his cloak, I, I think that if I can just get close enough to that Jesus... Big Jesus makes for big faith. Now she's timid. If I, she comes up behind him and she's low. The idea we always see pictures of her kind of crawling on the ground. And it's probably likely that to get to get to his cloak, she would have had to go low, which is a good metaphor for us. If you want to get, get to Jesus, it's okay to go low, but we won't talk about that. So she goes low and she's, she's probably timid. She's timid for at least two reasons. Many people think that she's timid only because of her condition, that because of her uncleanness, she's timid. But the, remember, the leper is, to, is unclean in, the, in a horrific way. And he comes up boldly and loudly and throws himself down in front of Jesus. So it's not just her condition. It's also, frankly, here we come again, it's also her gender. Uh, if you look at the historical records, you have an unclean woman would have been way, way down in the socially acceptable scenarios. And people would not have wanted her around or paid any attention to her at all. 
That's the point. She's a part of this crowd, and they wouldn't have been, they would have they wouldn't they wouldn't have known she was unclean. But had they known, they wouldn't they would not have wanted her around. They would not have paid her any attention. She would have been of very little value. She would have gone totally unnoticed. Feel that in the crowd, this woman is totally un. She's not valuable, and she's unnoticed. But she but then in that moment, she expresses remarkable faith. She had been suffering for 12 years. That is long enough for you and I, we would just assume after 12 years, this is a new normal. After 12 years, we would say, the way it is, is the way that it is. But just because something is that way, doesn't mean it has to stay that way, no matter how long it has been that way. She said, if I just touch his cloak... If I just make any sort of contact with Jesus, and, and there's the flashpoint of faith, she believes that even the edge, even the tassel of his outer garment is enough contact with Jesus for his power, for his authority to prevail over her condition. Now, here's where many commentators, and God bless them, I don't mean to always sound like I'm disagreeing with commentators, even though I often do. Here's where many commentators will pause and make sure that we hear them scold this lady. They'll, they'll praise her for faith. Oh, we're proud of her faith. But then they say, well, the fact that uh, she thought there was anything um, meritorious in the uh, in superstition, some sort of a, she was probably blending her faith with some confidence in magic. And so we condescend to this woman. Really? We're going to condescend to this. I don't want to get all fired up, but really? You put yourself in her place, in her, in her suffering, in her stigmatism, and then she reaches out in faith. And, and, and anybody, is anybody going to have the right to say, well, she really should have done it better? The, the truth is no such clue exists in the text that we should, that we should look down on anything that she's done. It's not present in the text. You have to invent it. There's no, such, there's no such evidence in the text that her confidence was off base at all. The, there's, no, there's, there's no such evidence in the text that Jesus was in any way put off by her faith. Jesus turns to her and says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Jesus, here's what Matthew says, Jesus saw her. He saw her. In the middle of a crowd, in the middle of, and, and other gospels tell us that, that when he says, who touched me? And he looks around and Peter's like, hey, Jesus, everybody's touching you, bro. This is, a, this is pandemonium. We're in, a, we're in a parade here. We're, this is crowded. But he says, no, 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 no. And then he makes eye contact with her. In the middle of the masses, this valueless, ostracized, stigmatized woman the, meets the eyes of Jesus. And in that moment between she and Jesus, there's nobody else in the world. He sees her. He notices her. He does not overlook her. He takes time. And as Heidi Baker taught us, he stops for the one. That's what faith does. He stops for the one. For all of the throngs of people, there's one who reached for him with faith. And he stops in his tracks for faith with compassion. And he says, he sees her, and then he says, take heart, daughter. Take heart, daughter. Yeah. This is the only time in the Gospels, particularly in the book of Matthew, this is the only time in the Gospels that we hear Jesus call a woman daughter. He calls them by name, he calls them a daughter of Abraham, but this is like a, a, his own daughter. When's the last time someone claimed ownership of this gal? 
out of affection, identify with her as belonging to them. I don't know. It, statistically, probably, it's been a long time. But here's Jesus, the one that she wanted to just sneak up and not bother. If I just touch his cloak, you know, he won't even feel it. He won't even know. Nobody will notice me. Boom. And the earth stops for her. And he says, take heart, daughter. He doesn't call her an outcast. He doesn't call her stigmatized, rejected. He calls her daughter. Before anything else, Jesus speaks to her heart. He speaks to her heart to be encouraged. Her body was anemic from loss of blood, but her heart must have been near gone from discouragement. So he sees not only her physical condition, but he sees the weight and sorrow of her heart and speaks life there first. My friends, if you're watching today, Jesus sees your hearts. He sees beyond. He knows the, the circumstances and he can deal with all of that. That's not, that doesn't intimidate him at all. But in the midst of all of the circumstances and all the stuff that you're worried about and you're feeling, Jesus sees your heart and he speaks life there to you today. Hallelujah. And then he says, your faith has healed you. See, Jesus isn't put off by her audacity. He's thrilled with it. Faith, remember this, faith has content an object and action. Faith believes something, that believes what is true. It believes what is true about Jesus Christ and then it acts. There's a do to what we believe is true and we see that with Jesus. She believed something was true about Jesus and then, and it wasn't just I believe in healing, it was believe if I, if I touch him, he's the source and then I'm gonna do something about it. And that's faith. Faith has content, it has an object and it has action. That's a great principle for us to remember. We're gonna keep seeing that throughout the scriptures. But Jesus recognizes that, and he says, your faith has healed you. So many times people say, they look at that, and that looks like she has reached some sort of measure. Oh, you have enough faith. Good for you. You, you, you slammed that hammer, and bing, you rang the bell. No, 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 no. He's not talking about performance. He's talking about a posture. He is proud of the posture that she has taken, that she has set aside every pretense and every other code and every other regulation, and she has simply believed that Jesus is big enough. Yeah. And he said, there you go. Big Jesus, big faith. Wow. And the woman, the Bible says, was healed at that moment. Right then, right there, 12 years of suffering, of 12 years of slow death came to an end in a moment. Wow. That's big Jesus. Right where you are today is we're going to finish this story. We're going to go to the Jairus' house. But right now, Wherever you are, whatever you're walking through, you can also touch. You, you have more contact with Jesus than a garment. Yes. Your faith can touch the very presence of God. The Holy Spirit is here, right with you, right now. And your faith can make contact with the presence of God. It doesn't have to be enough. You just have to believe. Just believe he's a big Jesus. Let's finish the story, but verses 23 through 26. Jesus now arrives and enters, enters Jairus' home, and he finds the, the mourners there. And when he gets there, the girl is dead. The funeral had already begun. So this isn't like she's almost dead. She's not mostly dead, okay? The, she is the, there's a funeral happening, okay? And there are mourners there. Now, you've probably heard that, that, that the mourners were professional. It was required. No matter how poor you were, no matter who, and Jairus wasn't, so uh, he would have been a man of influence. But even if you were poor, you had to have, you had to have at least two flute players and one lady who was, a, who would wail. 
two flutes of playing, one wailing woman. That, that was the rule for funerals. And so Jesus gets there, and so there's going to be people playing the flutes, sadly, and people that are wailing for this death. And, uh, and uh, he shows up and he says, here's Jesus, goes savage again. He shows up and he says what? Go away. You know, Jesus never went to a funeral that he did not interrupt. He shows up at the funeral and he says, go away. She's not dead. She's asleep. Now, here's what's important. Jesus is not denying the fact of her death. He is rejecting the finality of it. She was dead. But to Jesus, even death is temporary. And they laugh at him. He said, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they laugh at him. And when they laugh, he, what does Jesus do? He says, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't understand. Let me explain. Let me offer an apologia. Let me meet you where you are. Let's have a dialogue here. Let's exchange. Let's drink coffee. Let me, let me, try, to, let me try to compliment your perverted, broken frame of reference by, by compromising my message or compromising. No, he doesn't. The fact that they don't understand, doesn't, that doesn't matter. They'll come along. He says, he, he doesn't compromise with them. He sends them out. And he doesn't explain. He doesn't persuade. But he, he sends them out. Now, your Bible might say Jesus sent them out or something. But here's what's cute in Matthew. When you read the verb that Jesus, that Matthew wrote, it says ekbalo. That means to drive out. Do you know where else we see the word ekbalo? Demons. He treat, he, Matthew says he treated them like demons. He cast them out. Ooh, he wasn't happy. So their unbelief, their scorn, their dismissal of hope was not welcome. You know those memes that are going around that say, "Hey, if people are people do this or that and the other thing, you know, you you know, you know, don't hang around them. You don't need that kind of negativity." And usually they're funny. You know, like if people don't like biscuits and gravy, you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. But the truth is, you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. You don't need that kind. And for heaven's sakes, don't be that negativity. If you aren't bringing faith to the table, then maybe you should sit somewhere else. Yes. So Jesus goes in. The story is almost done. Jesus goes in, kicks, kicks everybody out. He bring, we know from the other gospels, he brings the parents and three and his three amigos with him, and he takes her by the hand. She's dead. She's not mostly dead. The funeral has been happening. They had to make these arrangements. She's gone. She's a corpse. I'm not trying to be gross, but you have to feel this. She, and he reaches over to this corpse and takes her by the hand. Stop, time out, freeze frame. This is another seriously unclean move. Touching a dead body gives you seven days suspension as unclean. You are unclean for a whole week, no questions asked. Not till sundown, not till you take a bath. You're one week, you're out. That's the law. The only way to overcome it, there's only one way to overcome it. There's only one loophole. The only way to overcome that loophole is if she doesn't stay dead. He touches her hand and she gets up. She doesn't stay dead. He's not unclean because she doesn't stay dead. One touch 
once again, makes all the difference between life and death. Now, if you're a Bible student, you think, wow, how significant is that? They, people knew, people knew the stories of Elijah and Elisha, you know, find, you know go, going to lay there, lay, there's a, you know, the dead, the, the dead child, the dead boy, you know, the dead adolescent, and them laying on top of them, praying several times, breathing onto them three or four times over and over again, interceding for Yahweh to intervene. Then those were, those were, hell, those, whoa, miraculous moments. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He just touches her by the hand. And death is gone and life returns. That is a very big Jesus. And big Jesus will draw from us big faith. And the news of that spread throughout the entire region. This was arguably the, the most powerful thing Jesus had done so far. Yeah, he calmed the wind and the water and the waves and all that stuff. Some of the stuff that Jesus has been doing, people hadn't seen. Just his homeboys freaking out. But now everybody is aware. He went into that room and that girl was dead and he brought her back out. And mama was carrying her girl. And boom. Katie barred the door. Now they're talking about Jesus. What are they talking about? A big Jesus. That was the testimony. Hey, big Jesus. How does this, as we wrap up this morning, how, does these, how do these stories teach us or inspire us to follow the Lord? I think it's pretty clear by now. The, the one simple answer is this. They should, they should make Jesus bigger for us so that our faith can be bigger and our obedience can be more robust. But let's consider the fact that the original audience had never seen this before. The original audience had never seen this before, but many in today's audience don't believe it anymore. Both of these miracles exhort the reader to exercise fantastic confidence in the authority of Jesus. These stories urge us to reject the tendency to try and domesticate our faith. To tame our faith, to put it in a kennel so it'll be well behaved. You know, audacious faith yearns to break a few rules. Yes. Particularly the rules that exist to keep faith well behaved. Because well behaved faith is just unbelief dressed up in church clothes. So friends, for you and I, our last sentences are these this morning. For you and I, it remains crucial essential that we recognize, that we reverence, that we stand in fresh awe and wonder at the authority of Jesus. And the more that you and I will reverence and recognize the authority of Jesus, the greater our faith will be and the more robust our obedience will be because big Jesus means big faith. Yeah. I pray that Jesus is huge <laughs> in your heart, in your eyes today. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. Let me pray with you today. Right where you are, let's pray together. I want to tell you, friend, that Jesus is big enough for you today. Jesus is big enough for your heart, for your home, for your marriage, for your peace, for your budget, for your mortgage. He's big enough if you're a small business person and you're wondering what's going to happen next. I can't do all the math for you, but I can tell you that Jesus is very big. If it's been a certain way for a long time and you can't imagine it being any different, Jesus is big. 
Just lift let your just let your eyes fix your eyes on Jesus. They don't worry about how well you're performing or whether you are this enough or that enough or you've done enough. Let your heart, let your imagination be so overwhelmed with the size, the magnitude of Jesus. And then your faith will open up and embrace. You can reach out and touch, you know, the his presence. You can invite him into your home and say, Lord, just if it, it feels it feels too late. It feels like it's been too long. It feels like it might be too far gone. But we can say, we can have faith to say, Lord, just come and lay your hand on it. And it'll live. Come and lay your hand on my heart. If you used to follow the Lord, you've been in church for a while and you are watching online today and you've stuck around this long, then the Holy Spirit must be talking to you. And you can ask him today, come and lay your hand on my heart, Lord. Today I give you my faith. You put your spirit in me. I want to be born again. I want to live. Let hope live. Let Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my sin. Give me new life. For those of you that need fresh hope, let Jesus put his hand there. For those of you that need peace, let Jesus put his hand there. For those of you that need healing in your home. see, These are miracles about healings. For those of you that need healing in your home, in your heart, in your body, let Jesus just be big enough and just let him be so big. Stop striving and wondering if you've done, if you've checked all the marks or done everything right. Let Jesus be big. Let Jesus just be big. Jesus minister to people in their lives today. I want you to know that he sees you and that he can speak to your heart and that he rejects, he wants you to send, kick out of your life all the voices of mockery or unbelief or hopelessness. And just get alone. Get rid of all those voices of despair, of doubt, of worry, of fear. Get alone with a great big Jesus and let him bring life to your life today. Father, in Jesus' name, let your Holy Spirit powerfully prevail and minister to your people today. We thank you today for a very big Jesus. Amen. Love you, friends. Thanks for praying with us today. Um, if you have a moment, make a few comments, message us. Let us know how the Lord is ministering to your life, what he's doing for you. And, uh, and then, and then uh, share with others what's going on. And, um, and uh, maybe even share this post or this broadcast with a friend this week. God bless you. Love to have been with you. Thanks so much.